So, Mark. Yes? In this movie, the titular character gains his powers through injections of a drug called monocaine, which brings on invisibility and also insanity. You know, as it happens. It's just what goes. So I was wondering, what are your favorite fictional drugs? So, of course, there's, you know, the classics. There's your Brave New World, Soma. For some reason, in my brain, in my brain, I hadn't said fictional. I had said, like, TV or movies. And I was like, did you watch the Peacock Brave New World series? Uh, update, I actually did. Oh! How was um, it? It was not bad. I actually enjoyed it. Okay. I wish it had just ended instead of setting up a season two that it didn't get. Yeah, that stinks. But it was entertaining. All right. Happy for Alden. Demi Moore, of course. But I think that one of my favorites is, of course, a purple inhalant that causes rage and a loss of control. And that is the gas R from the movie Detective Pikachu, which is about (laughs) busting a drug ring. Oh. <laughs> I had forgotten that that movie is about drugs. Yep, it's about a drug ring run by an evil, the son of like a company CEO and Mewtwo's involved. I think they use Mewtwo DNA to make the drug or something, but then it turns out Mewtwo's a good guy. What a great movie. What a picture. I should rewatch Detective Pikachu. We had fun seeing that. Remember they go to like an underground Pokemon like battle where they use no they also go to a like a cage match where they use this drug and it makes every Pokemon angry and attack. I remember that. I had totally forgotten about this. Wow. I could not tell you why. When you said fictional drug, that is the first one that popped into my head. A 2016 movie I have not seen since it was in theaters. That was like 2018. That was not 2016. 2018. Sorry. No, it was after oh, 2019. Was it? Then it would have been I 2019. It, I think okay. it was 2019. But that's what I thought of. I didn't think of any of the Fallout drugs, which are all pretty fun. I assumed you were going to say Melange, the spice from Dune. I mean, I wanted to play to type to an even more extreme degree than just by saying Dune. Your eyes aren't turning blue. Your lungs are turning purple. The Spice from Dune, of course, is an all-time great fictional drug, because if you fill a vat with it and put a human inside of it, they turn into a giant fish monster that can see the future in warp space. I was about to bring up the guild navigators. Like, that's the most fun thing about Melange. It's not like the Fremen, like, kind of have bluish eyes because of this. It's they dunk people in, like, Bacta tanks of it, and they have to pilot their spaceships. The best part of Dune is corporate espionage and intrigue. Yeah. The Spacer Guild and Showem. Excellent. Dune. Dune. Hold on to your house atomics, folks. Dune 2 is shooting as this episode comes out. I really hope they use the phrase house atomics. The other one that I thought of that I thought you might come up with is Iocane Powder from The Princess Bride. Oh. I think I just assumed that was real. (laughs) Isn't that a poison, though? More than a drug. Yeah, I mean, partially you're getting it. Like, what is the line between a poison and a drug? Dose. Right. That's the line. (laughs) For the most part. The dosage makes the poison and whatnot. But that felt like an answer. Of course, there's the drug that I would most like to sell you. If I catch you in a bar on Coruscant. 
<laughs> Will, how many times do I have to tell you I'm not doing your death sticks? Look, all I'm saying is my name is Elon Sleesbagado, and I want to sell you death sticks. I can't handle death sticks. What? I'm sorry. Are you prejudiced just because his last name is Sleesbagano? <laughs> no, it's because they're called death sticks. He took a real nickname for cigarettes that people use to tell you not to smoke and then just used that as the name of a drug. Also, it's a universe that has just spice. Yeah. And every once in a while in the expanded universe, they try to like distinguish between different kinds of spice. But at the end of the day, we're like, it's drugs. It's just drugs called spice. Yeah. Uh, the Elder Scrolls series also has skooma, which is really fun to say. And it's treated, it's like, talked about like this dangerous illegal drug but it's treated just like any other potion in the game mechanics so you can just become a drug dealer very easily as a way to make money with no consequence seems great oh fiona how have you not watched dune yet when did it come out october and how long is it not long enough (laughs) how long is it played in the fifth year who's to say really I think that's why I haven't watched it. I don't know. It is a very zippy and very tight two and a half hours long. It just breezes by. It really does not feel long. Okay. Maybe someday. It moves with the speed of a Padisha emperor responding to an uprising. I do not know what that means. With the efficiency of the emperor's Sardaukar bodyguards. Oh, that, that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That really cleared it up. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, as we all know, do love a tight 90, or as this week's movie is, tight 71 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It it is brief. It was perfect for my four-hour layover to watch. Okay. But for the right movie, aka Dune, that length is well-earned and well-used, and I can't wait to watch two and a half more hours of it in part two. Oh my gosh. Well- if I do end up seeing it, I will report back. I do think that it is time to discuss this movie, however. This week's movie, Zippy 71 Minutes of Sheer Joy. All focused around the drug monocane. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And does a movie really need a beginning, or will a middle and end suffice? (laughs) (laughs) Also, are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if it's basically a one-scene thing that the movie treats like a main plot, we will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are continuing our spooky October movie series by talking with... Sorry, what's your name again? (laughs) Me? Yeah. Fifi Fierce? Oh, right, yeah, of course. My sister Fiona, about the 1933 Universal Pictures adaptation of H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. Hello! So, Fiona, we sent you a list of Universal monster movies and said, pick anything. Yeah, and this was one of the ones that I had heard about before, and that's why I picked it. Yeah, I was wondering, like, what your thought process was on this. I mean, I can't remember what else is on the list, but really my thought was, okay, I know that exists. I know that I've heard of it before. Let's check it out. 
Did you Google run times and choose the shortest one? No, I did not. They're all short. These Actually, all I don't even think this is the shortest one. It's not. There's there's an even shorter one? Uh, yeah. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but... I, I think like, Dracula I mean, is under 70. The Wolfman is pretty short, too. It's maybe 80, but, like, none of these are longer than 85 minutes. Well, I appreciated the length. If you had told me that this movie was only part of a full movie and the opening 30 minutes were lost, I would believe you. <laughs> yeah. That's the efficiency of a James Whale B-movie. I also just love that it starts. And there's no flashbacks, even. Every detail is told through dialogue. We just hit the ground running and go. He opens the door wrapped in the iconic bandages. And I was like, oh, he's already invisible. I was surprised by that. I do think, like, it's easier to do the, like, cool visual effects stuff with a dude who is already invisible than to have to show him, like, fading away. Like, that's a harder mm-hmm. thing to pull off. Although they do show him fade back. They do, which I love. I love so that he could. fades back from the inside out. Like, first his bones fade back, and then his muscles, and then his skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which doesn't really make any sense, but I think it's great. So, I actually, when I looked it up, and I saw, like, the cover photo, and I was like, oh, this was made in 1933. He's wrapped up in bandages. Maybe that's just what they did to make him invisible like he's just gonna walk around in bandages and nobody's gonna see him but that's for us the effects are good the effects they are were incredible. i was surprised i thought that it was gonna e- either gonna be that fiona like we see him walking around in bandages or just like we don't see him at all and like stuff moves because they're like pulling strings or moving dollies and they do yeah. both of those things right but there are all these incredible sequences of him, like, unwrapping the bandages around his head and you see nothing behind it. Or, like, where it's just the pants running around. Yeah, the shirt dancing around at one point. <laughs> the pants running around where he's just like, ooh, I'm a pair of pants. <laughs> was so funny. Also, early on when he's just, like, running around the town, he's like, oh, I got your bike and I'm going to throw the bike at someone. And now to do that, so... The bike, for example, they're, like, pulling on strings and moving on dollies and stuff like that. But when it's him and you see part of it, what they had to do is an early version of what gets done in something like The Parent Trap 65 years later. Where they would shoot a version of all of those scenes on a set that was covered in black velvet. And they would put Claude Rains in a black, like, body stocking. And then just put on whatever clothes they needed to appear in the scene. And they'd have to get it to light the same way and then shoot it again so they could mat the two frames on top of each other so it would look like it was all happening in the same space. That's a lot of work. That's so cool. It's so cool that they pulled it off. And that's what I love in part about these old monster movies is like, that's where a lot of the special effects innovation was taking place in this period. You watch something like King Kong and you're watching incredible special effects. Yeah, it was very impressive. When you first see him invisible and he takes the glasses off and the nose and the bandages are hollow, (laughs) that was such a cool shot and a great introduction to the effects of the movie. Yeah, so those are done just by painting on the film cells. Oh. Okay. You can't really tell that. Like, it doesn't look painted. It looks good. So some of the times it's painting, a couple of times... For those, it's also they've, like, built a wire, like, mannequin. That's kind of what I figured was going on, but it still looks really good. Yeah, it does. It's awesome. So, 
I think, Mark, you had not seen this either, right? No, I hadn't. Yeah, this was a new one for me too. But uh, have you read the novel? I have not. Most of my exposure to H.G. Wells comes from Paul F. Tompkins' The Dead Authors podcast, where he <laughs> plays H.G. Wells and has a time machine and uses it to like time travel authors to L.A. to do a live podcast. That is a great podcast. It's very funny. Some of my favorites are Lennon Parham as Flannery O'Connor. That is a good one. Kristen Schaal as Tennessee Williams, also a very good one. I really like the Walt Whitman one. I forget who it is, but like everything he says is in a Leaves of Grass style free association. Also, obviously, the two John Daly episodes as El Rod Hubbard. Yes. So I have read this. I liked H.G. Wells a lot when I was in high school. I haven't read any of his stuff since then. But I enjoy Wells as like the proto version of the sci-fi short story writer, where like the infrastructure of sci-fi magazines didn't exist yet for him to be actually writing short stories. So they're all like 100-page novellas, but they all have that sci-fi short story attitude of like, I've thought of an interesting idea, and let's just play this out a little bit without going into too much like world building. And the whole thing of The Invisible Man is like, if you give someone the power to be invisible, like, how will that change who they are? And in the novel, it is like, this guy increasingly feels this sense of impunity. Like, he can do anything he wants. He can take advantage of people. He can be increasingly rude and ultimately cruel because he has this power. And I think what's fascinating about the movie is it starts there. Like, it starts, he's already invisible, and he's already reached the point of, like, I can do whatever the hell I want with this power. I couldn't believe how he walked in and immediately was just like, bring me food, take me to the parlor, give me a room, get my stuff tonight. I assumed that at the hotel was just, like, him trying to, like, get out of the public space as efficiently as possible. Because, like, he can't really interact with people. And so I thought he was just trying to have as limited interactions as possible. Which could be true, but also he's just a jerk. And when he gets the other doctor in, and he's like, all right, so the plan is we're taking over the world. Yeah. Good for him, honestly. You go, girlfriend. I don't know if I needed the drug to have made him go crazy i think just the power could have been corrupting enough i agree and that's the way the book goes with it Mm -hmm. now that was like the last of many scripts that were developed because the first of these universal monster movies and we've i think only done bride of frankenstein before this which is also directed by james whale i love james whale that's what i've decided he's great so dracula is the first of those monster movies and it's a huge hit So after Dracula, Universal just starts developing a bunch of these. And they bought the rights to The Invisible Man because, of course, H.G. Wells is still alive. It's one of those weird things to think about. Oh. Oh, yeah. That is weird. They bought the rights from H.G. Wells, who had script approval on the movie. Like, that's how alive he was. That's so weird to think about. Because it's just such different eras of time in my head. Right, yeah. It's like, H.G. Wells is a pre-World War I guy. Wow. Yeah. But he doesn't die until 1946. So they buy this. The plan is it'll be like out the next year. It'll star Boris Karloff. They wind up making Frankenstein first instead, also directed by James Whale. And at the same time, they just have a bunch of different writers working on trying to crack a draft of The Invisible Man. Because they need to come up with something that they like and H.G. Wells likes. One of the early drafts, had a bunch of invisible animals, like octopus and rats, like, running wild, and it ended with, like, a terrorist attack on Grand Central Station. 
Honestly, an invisible octopus. That's pretty terrifying. That's a cool idea and I like it. That said, like, I don't know how cool it would have been in execution in 1933. Yeah. Like, does it just amount to, like, stuff's getting bumped into and it's like, we have to know it's an invisible octopus. Right. My favorite version of this is the Preston Sturgis one, where the invisible man is a Russian guy looking to get revenge on the Bolsheviks who killed his family. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. That's a pre-true Red Scare movie. Well, it's like post-20s Red Scare. Oh yeah, post-20s Red Scare, pre-Cold War Red Scare. So ultimately, this screenplay that we saw is written by R.C. Sheriff, and he's the one who introduced the idea of Monocane bringing insanity as well as invisibility. And they were like, oh yeah, that's kind of compelling, so we'll go with that. But they ultimately kind of went with like the simplest version of the different scripts that were developed. Cowards. <laughs> My favorite story about the making of this is with Claude Rains, who plays the Invisible Man, in his first American film appearance, after having come over from England. And, you know, of course, this is Claude Rains. He's a Hollywood legend. He's in Casablanca. But he kept getting in fights with James Whale because he wanted to do, like, more expressive, more emotional acting. Like, he wanted to be using his actor's craft. And James Whale kept telling him to ham it up. He's like, Claude, nobody can see your face. It doesn't matter how much you emote. <laughs> that, it's got to be so weird acting as an invisible man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's closer to mime. Or, like, silent film acting. But not even. It's kind of the opposite. I guess for the clothes scenes. I mean, the if he doesn't have any clothes, he's just not on set. Yeah, for the most part, it's just an ADR performance. Either way, he knocks it out of the park. He's great. He has that, like, anger. It's just so funny to me that we never see pre-serum Jack. You do not see Claude Rains in this movie. And you never just, like, get to know the Jack that has these friends and... The one that Gloria Stewart is in love with. Yeah. We never really see him to figure out why the heck she's in love with him. Yeah, it's, like, hard to imagine... I guess we'll talk about this more later on, but, like, it's hard to imagine her being so passionately in love with this guy. Right. I fully stand by my description that this movie doesn't have a beginning. It just has a middle and end. I think that's basically true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But given the pretty strict runtime limits on these kinds of things. Like these B movies did not have the opportunity to be two hours. Like they had to fill a certain kind of time slot. Like I like that as just getting it out of the way and then getting to have more fun with the visual effects playing around with what it means Mm -hmm. to have an invisible man. I just can't believe how silly it gets. Yeah. It's silly, but it is also like, I think it does kind of capture how creepy this whole idea is. Like having an invisible man walking around is an unsettling idea, which is what, of course, the 2020 Invisible Man, like, fully leans into. Mm-hmm. Is that one based off the same story, or does it just have the same name? Um, It's more the same name. Like, it is produced by Universal Studios. Like, it is inspired by the idea of the Invisible Man character. And there are a couple of nods to this, but it's a totally different story. Okay. It's a really good movie. Have either of you seen it? I've heard it's... No, I've heard it's very scary. It is, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, so... so. Not watching that. Mark, come on over. I have the 4K. What movie were we regretting not having Fiona watch? Oh, Eraserhead. We should have had Fiona watch Eraserhead. (laughs) Missed opportunity. Oh, no. Speaking of reboots of The Invisible Man, of course, Johnny Depp was slated to play the character in The Dark Universe. Oh, my God. R.I.P. The Dark Universe. 
Uh, I, kill, I just remembered I meant to wear my Dark Universe shirt for this recording, and I totally forgot to. Ugh. Fiona will never forgive you. I know. I don't... I don't... Yeah. <laughs> Were you about to say you don't know what the Dark Universe is? I was. <laughs> the Dark Universe was a plan by Universal in the wake of the Avengers to make an interconnected universe of monster movies. They were like, oh, "Oh, the Avengers, a huge hit. Like this has convinced audiences that they need to see like every movie in this like mega franchise. So you can have an Iron Man series and a Thor series and people will go see both of them because they also want to see the Avengers stuff. Like it's a franchise of franchises. Universal was like, how do we do that? Oh, we have these monster characters. So they had this, Mark, can you send her the picture? Uh, Let me find it. They had this huge plan where they, like, hired a writer's room to develop stories for the Dark Universe, and they released one of them. Uh, They kind of released two of them. They released a Dracula origin story that was, like, rumored to be part of the Dark Universe, and then it flopped, and they were like, that was never part of the Dark Universe. (laughs) And then in 2017, they put out The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise, as a mummy hunter. And that was the first Dark Universe movie. And, like, it starts even, like, it's the Universal logo, but then it's overtaken by the Dark Universe logo. Whoa. But that's different than the Mummy. Well, that's the 2017 Mummy, which is different from the 99 Mummy and is different from the 33 Mummy. Okay. So that one introduces Tom Cruise, the Mummy Hunter, and it introduces Russell Crowe as Dr. Henry Jekyll, who, of course, would also turn into Mr. Hyde in a later Oh, how fun. And then in the process, Mark, do you have the picture? It's sending. Oh, apparently you have to download it. Oops. Ugh. Accept. Open. And this was an announcement of the cast of the Dark Universe. You can see this photo. It's a lot of people who were definitely in a room together. Mm-hmm. So you've got Cruz there in the middle. You've got Dr. Henry Jekyll. Javier Bardem in the chair there. He was going to play Frankenstein. And Johnny Depp, the Invisible Man. Uh, and The Mummy was a flop. And the Dark Universe was canceled, and none of the other movies ever got made. Interesting. Which, some of them sounded like they could be interesting. So it's kind of a shame. I was interested in Bill Condon's Bride of Frankenstein. Me too. I didn't think it was going to be good, but I was interested in seeing it. I was very curious. Now, here's the thing. like, Since the failure of the Dark Universe, they did what I think is a good thing, which is they said, all right, instead of making these as like tent poles... We're going to hand them to Blumhouse and let them make small budget versions of them. And that's where we got the Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man instead of the Johnny Depp one. And that's like mm-hmm. a much smaller scale, like cool, scary movie. Like right in the middle of Dark Universe being canceled and the transition to this. In like 2019, they announced a new Invisible Woman movie directed by and starring Elizabeth Banks. And I have not been able to find out if that's still in development or not. Is it the same sort of story, just as an invisible woman? I mean, kind of. So the thing is, like, all of these original monster movies of the 30s, like, they were all, like, series. So there are a bunch of sequels to all of them. Invisible Man, you don't get them immediately. Like, Frankenstein, you have a series of Frankenstein movies in the 30s. Invisible Man, this one comes out in 1933, and that's it. But then in 1940, Frankenstein and Dracula were re-released as a double bill. So you would go and see them back to back. And it was like a huge box office success. And Universal was like, oh, people are still into monsters. We should make more monster movies. And in the 40s, they make a ton of sequels to the older ones, including a bunch of Invisible Man sequels. The Invisible Man Returns, The Invisible Man's Revenge, and they make The Indivisible Woman, about a woman who gains the power to become invisible and uses it to get revenge on her boss. Oh, okay. So 
Elizabeth Banks doing an Invisible Woman movie is to some degree calling back to that movie from the 40s. So we'll see if it happens. I don't know. I like the idea that the 2020 Invisible Man would be a model going forward of like, let's use these as a jumping off point to make some new kinds of ideas. Monsters are great. I like the concept of more monster movies. Tentpole IP, less intriguing to me. So I mourn the loss of the dark universe in some ways, but also if we just get more monster movies out of it, I'm fine. I mean, the dark universe is also funnier the less there is of it, so I feel like we won. Like, yeah, there being one, one movie dark is universe hilarious. Movie is the funniest number of dark universe movies. Like, one is funnier than zero, and also it's funnier than two. <laughs> Especially with the publicity still. Right. So, last year for my birthday, my then-fiancé, as of this episode coming out, now wife, had a shirt made for me with the Dark Universe logo on it. Oh, that's fun. It's great. I've gotten compliments for it at movie theaters. <laughs> I got that. I got my Maria Menounos shirt, and I got my Nicole Kidman AMC shirt. You have a Maria Menounos shirt? Yeah. Mark and I bought them for each other for Christmas last year. Oh, my gosh. Do they have her face on them? No, it just says show up early for Maria Menounos. Ah, okay. Let me tell you, in like early 2021... I was like at a gas station and Maria Menounos was on the little like gas pump TV screen. And I was like, my friend Maria, I have missed you so dearly. It is so genuinely nice to see you. I'm sure she feels the same way. When Wonder Woman 84 came out and it was like released on Christmas Day in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time. It was the first of those HBO Max day and date releases. Somebody made a YouTube playlist of like, recreate the movie experience in your home because you're not going to a movie theater. And it was like a 30 minute long YouTube playlist that started with clips of Maria Menounos and Nuvi interspersed with like car commercials and promos for Amazon TV series. And then it went to a Maria Menounos wrap up video and then it played like five trailers and the whole thing was just like, watch this and then hit play on Wonder Woman. And I did. And in like December of 2020, it was one of the most wonderful things I could have asked for. (laughs) People have too much time and also create great things. Yeah. Yes. What was funny was this got posted on a Reddit that I was on and all the like European Redditors on there were like, wait, you all sit through all of that? Do they not? I guess not. Now, of course, like only the trailers start at showtime. Like I watched all of the like newbie nonsense, which I normally don't see because I actually don't normally show up early for Maria Menounos. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, AMC has renewed Nicole Kidman's contract for another year. So we'll be seeing more of her. Will we get different scenes? I hope so. We will have to wait and see, I guess. I still like my idea of like every month they should give a different like Oscar winning director, Nicole Kidman, that script and an empty theater and they get to shoot it however they like. And they rotate (laughs) out like the same video, but made entirely differently. That'd be kind of fun. And in one, maybe she could be invisible. Maybe. Or at least have bandages wrapped around her head. So I think we should probably talk about romance, though, right? Yes. That is the point of the podcast. Wow. I feel like this is one of the less really? romantic monster movies. Well, I just have to say, this was a relief after my last appearance on this show. <laughs> no teeth this time? Yeah, I mean, com- no teeth. compared to your last movie, this is a cornucopia of love. <laughs> it's just blossoming everywhere. Bursting out of that like police announcement megaphone that we zoom into and then go through the montage and then back out. I thought that was cool. Yep. It was kind of fun. So every week we break down the romantic plot line into five points to guide conversation. 
As our guest, Fiona, will you take us to point one? Or knowing you, I can only imagine point zero. Is your... Well... Okay, do you have point zero? Yeah, of course I do. We start this movie in the middle of the story. (laughs) I was going to ask if your point zero was the fact that after the Universal logo, there was a National Recovery Act logo that said we're doing our part. I thought that was so cool. That was cool. That's not what I was referring to. No. So as... uh, Mark has said this movie just jumps right in. There is no beginning. We start in the middle. So with that, we have to have a backstory. And the backstory, point zero, is the fact that Jack Griffin is a scientist who works for Flora's dad. And they seem to have had some sort of interest in each other. The level of this interest, we really don't know. But there's an attraction. I think it was, like, fairly serious. Like, Flora is quite upset specifically that like he left without talking to her and her dad is reacting like yeah it's weird that he left without talking to you but at the same time and we'll talk about this in point two and maybe this is just sabotage but it's you get the impression that maybe it was a little bit one-sided like on flora's part yeah i mean weren't they engaged we can get to it later but kemp tells her that jack didn't actually care for her and he would never care for anything more than his work, but that he himself actually loves her. Yeah. But like, I don't know that that's entirely true because like he does let Flora in at the end of the movie, like that whole plan of using Flora, like that works. Yeah. And I don't think that would work if he didn't care. About I her thought they were engaged and maybe I misunderstood. I mean, that's the vibe that I got. I mean, I don't think, I didn't think that he didn't care for her, but I thought, like, I don't know. You know how, like, Ebenezer Scrooge, he really did like, what's her face? Belle. Belle. But, you know, he liked money more. Maybe Jack likes Flora, but he cares about his research more. I mean, I think that's true. Yeah. And so in the sense where she would put him first, he would not put her first. Yeah. No, I think that's all definitely true. Yeah. So that was point zero. They had a, a relationship that we never see, actually. Well, we don't see him at all. Oh! oh. <laughs> okay, so point one, Jack disappears. And Flora is incredibly worried about him. Again, they sort of have this relationship and suddenly he's gone. He disappeared. He, hadn't t- he didn't tell anybody where he was going. So naturally, she's quite upset about this. She sure is. Really, at this point... When we have, like, Flora upset, she's worried about Jack, I'm like, all right, this movie is going to be, like, one of the more romantic Universal Monster movies. It's going to be, like, the Wolfman. But then, I guess I'm looking at our notes, like, we have our point two, but, like, Flora disappears for, like, 50 out of the 70 minutes of this movie. Yes. The movie is much too busy with hijinks and shenanigans, as well as murder and dark things. Cool. But Which, I mean, I do I'm not find myself it. deeply invested in the romantic narrative of this story in the way that I do in something like The Wolfman. Yeah, the non-romantic parts of this movie were way more fun. To be fair, though, The mm-hmm. Wolfman is mostly beginning, and this has no beginning. Oh, okay. So maybe together they make a full movie. So point number two is a little bit more strain on their relationship, and there. So it, we learn there's a little bit of a love triangle, where Kemp kind of tries to swoop in and. Flora's very upset that Jack has disappeared. Uh, He didn't tell anybody where he was going, not even her. And Kemp kind of explains, oh, you know, he never really cared about you that much. He was more focused on his work, but I care about you. 
And she's not really interested in Kemp, but that is just another aspect to the relationship. There's, there's a third person interested there. Yeah, Kemp is like really pushy about this. Yeah, and the, but then you got to give it to him. You know, after that scene, he never really pushes it again. Which is also weird. Yeah, for that time, yeah. It's weird that he's that pushy and then totally drops it. This movie just doesn't care about romance at all. Maybe he's more concerned about living. I guess yeah. that's true. He does have other priorities. Yeah. I do think, based off my remembering of Bride of Frankenstein and this one, James Whale doesn't care about heterosexual love. He only cares about weird relationships between scientists. Okay. Interesting idea. But the thing is, like, the guy also directed Showboat. Like, he can do, like, a romantic musical. Fair. I haven't seen it. I'm just going off of his monster movies. I I have one quick not-romance-related comment about this movie. But like I said, I was watching it in the airport. So I had the volume all the way up on my computer with my headphones so that I could hear it. And I had the subtitles on. And I think the the innkeeper, I think her name is Mrs. Hill, that woman screamed way too much <laughs> in this movie. And I had the volume all the way up. You would scream too if that was happening. She started screaming before anything happened. Yeah, she just like screamed anytime she walked into a room. Fiona, she is an icon. You once (laughs) thought there was an invisible man in your home and you screamed. No, I didn't. He was not invisible. (laughs) (laughs) He sure wasn't visible. (laughs) I didn't think he was invisible though. But yeah, that was, oh my gosh, she just kept screaming. So I guess we can move on to point three now. So this is when Flora and Jack are reunited. And so what what has kind of happened here is that Jack, he finds his way to Kemp's house and kind of bullies him into becoming his accomplice. He's like, Kemp, we're going to conquer the world together. And Kemp is like, I'd really rather not. And he's like, you are my partner, dang it. The drugs I took seemed to light up my brain. Suddenly I realized the power I held. The power to rule. To make the world grovel at my feet. (laughs) We'll soon put the world right now, Kemp. You and I. I? You mean I must have a partner, Kemp. A visible partner to help me in the little things. You're my partner, Kemp. Yeah, and it it's just fascinating. He just, like, asserts himself. Like, he takes control of the house, and he's like, what are you doing out of bed? Why, you need to go to sleep. We've got work to do tomorrow. I think that's really cool and creepy, because it's like, yeah, he asserts his control of the house, because you're never sure whether he's in the room or not. Right. And, like, that comes into play when he kills Kemp, because he's like, yeah, I've been with you the whole time. I was in the meeting. I rode on the running board of the police car. Like, I've been with you this whole time. Like, that's what's creepy about the Invisible Man. That was creepy, yeah. So they're there, and Kemp is at the house, and he's essentially being held prisoner. He's forced to drive Jack around to steal his books, because that's where the answer is on how to get Jack visible again. He's essentially his getaway driver. Yeah, so his plan is to use this monocane drug to switch back and forth at times between being visible and invisible. And he wants to use it on Kemp, too, so that they can establish deniability of, like, no, I'm not the Invisible Man. Look, you can see me. And also, I think he just wanted a break from it. 
Well, yeah, it's annoying. You gotta walk around naked. He's cold. That's also true. He wants to be able to wear clothes in the winter. So one, he's, uh, they take him to go get his books back from the inn, and that's where he sort of starts sowing chaos, and the whole town finally comes to an agreement that there's this invisible man, and that's when the police actually start to believe it, because... Jack kills the police officer who's holding the little meeting, which I thought it was kind of funny. They had the meeting at the bar, and every person who claims to have seen the invisible man, the first question is, and you were here at the bar when you saw him? And how many drinks did you have? Right, it's like a rational response. Yeah. And even as when it's reported the next day in the newspapers, they're like, we're pretty sure this is like a collective delusion. Yes. So at that point, Kemp... Kemp decides he's got to do something. So he calls Flora's dad, who both he and Jack had been working for. And they kind of agree that they'll report Jack is missing. They realize that he's been taking this drug that not only makes you invisible, but also makes you go mad. But which Jack didn't know because it only happened in one German study to a dog. Right. (laughs) So this at this point, then Flora kind of says, hey, we're in love. I bet I can go talk to him and solve this. So she, they show up and at first Jack thinks it's the cops and he's, he's very upset with Kemp for having betrayed him. And Kemp goes, no, 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 it's Flora. She's here. She wants to see you. You've been crying. I want to help you. Why did you do this? For you, Flora. For me? Yes, for you, my darling. I wanted to do something tremendous to achieve what men of science have dreamt of since the world began, to gain wealth and fame and honor to write my name above the greatest scientists of all time. I was so pitifully poor. I had nothing to offer you, Flora. I was just a poor, struggling chemist. I shall come back to you, Flora, very soon now. The secret of invisibility lies there in my books. I shall work in Kent's laboratory till I find the way back. There is a way back, Flora, and then I shall come to you. I shall offer my secret to the world with all its terrible power. The nations of the world will bid for it, thousands, millions. The nation that wins my secret can sweep the world with invisible armies. So she's trying to talk some sense into him. She wants him to go get help and figure out how to make him visible and also stop his madness. And he's going on about how he's done all of this for her and he wants to take over the world. And I don't know if he mentioned to her, but he did mention to Kemp that He's got a whole bunch of murders planned. Yes, he's planning to kill a lot of people. Important people and not important people and cause a train crash. Yeah, the body count in this movie is high. Yeah. I'd say in the hundreds. Yeah, he derails a train off a cliff. So that's point three. And uh, so point four is the fact that Jack now... Again, he is mad right now, but he chooses to ignore Flora, essentially. Uh, And instead, he's going to go on his murdering spree. Go now, my dear. No, I want to stay. You must hide. Well, don't worry. The whole world's my hiding place. I can stand out there amongst them in the day or night and laugh at them. And she's just kind of left. Left to go live her life, I guess. He kind of forgets about her. He's on his spree and the police are trying to catch him. They've got a whole training session where they're figuring out how they're going to use a net to get him and they're going to use Kemp as the bait. Their plan mostly involves holding hands and walking in a line. Yes. (laughs) And the other thing, what I didn't quite get, and this kind of... So they end up shooting him 
they smoke him out of a barn that he's hiding in and the owner of the barn calls the cops and he's like there's breathing and i don't see a body it must be him so they come up with this plan to set the barn on fire and they I hope watch they pay him back for his barn oh i know yeah. and all the hay and were there animals in there good question i can only imagine yeah. that a bunch of animals just died probably so yeah, there it's like a perfect storm of the hay is breathing and it's snowing, so they're able to see his footprints as he's going forward. Right. But my question is, like, he should be able to see them, but he just like walks right towards them and they shoot him. Didn't he see the gun? Did he not want like he knows he's making footprints? Why was he not trying to zigzag? Or, Why is like... he walking so slowly? Yeah. Well, maybe it's because he's insane now. Could be. Do we know how long the it's mon- monocane? Yeah. Does it wear off ever? Like it seems like no. He was working. Any? He was working on an antidote. Yeah, he was okay. trying to figure out a way to make himself visible again, but with the intention of going back and forth. Right. So he he kind of literally walks right into his his murder, and that takes us to point five, which is the last goodbye. And Jack is on his deathbed, and he asks to see Flora, and she goes in, and nothing really happens. Uh, then he dies, and he becomes visible again. I knew you would come to me, Flora. I wanted to come back to you. My darling, I failed. I meddled in things. Then man must leave alone. <laughs> All right, so do we find the romance <laughs> believable? I mean, no. I, I Part of this is, again, our lack of a beginning. It's hard to know why Flora is invested in jack at all he seems like a big old jerk and it even sounds like from the start and i'm just curious if kemp's accurate in his description i'm leading towards yes so i think he was not nice to her before he went crazy so we're told repeatedly that he was kind of a shady guy who like locked up all of his work and refused to let anybody else know what he was doing yeah you're right like he's secretive he's rude Gloria Foster, like, had a whole romance on the Titanic. Like, she should be living a better life. So here's the question. Was he good looking? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe he was good looking and maybe she fell for his looks and that's it. That's a very good point. He might be really hot. Yeah. But honestly, even his voice just sounds angry. All right. Fiona, where would you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? I mean, it is. I mean, people do fall in love with jerks. I'm giving this a four. I was going to say a three. Okay. Yeah. I I think I'm leaning towards a three. I come down on less believable than otherwise, but I'll allow that there's stuff we just don't know about. Yeah. I don't think it's fully unbelievable. (sighs) Yeah. Maybe a four. Do you think that either of these people are dateable? No. Jack, because obviously no. Jack is obviously a jerk not. And he's crazy and invisible. He is a like and mass murderer. Yeah, and Flora uh, might be stupid for <laughs> being in love with him. So no. She also spends. She's given no time in this movie beyond being stressed and annoying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we cannot rule out the possibility that she's just dumb. If you did have to pick a person in this movie to date, who would you choose? I'm going with Flora's dad, who's the head of their little lab. He seems like a nice, supportive guy. And if I did turn to a life of crime, he would try hard not to turn me in. I was going to pick him, too. 
I was thinking about picking him, but I was a little worried about how he just let Jack kind of get this far. But he would be supportive of you if you did go that far. You right. mean you're not picking yeah. the tavern owner slash innkeeper, Fiona? No. If I have to hear that scream, I will rip out my ears. Uh, well, we know they're not going to stay together because he is visible and dead. But do we think that this movie should be made into a musical? No. I would not be shocked if they already had one. But at the same time, how do you do an invisible man on stage? Lots of ropes and pulleys. Like, I would be interested to see it. But I think I'd rather see just a stage production than a musical. Like, just a play. Yeah, I just want to see a play. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Some songs about taking over the world by being invisible aren't not interesting to me. Like Howard Ashman villain songs. Right. There has not been a musical based on the universal version of this, but there have been many musicals inspired by the H.G. Wells novel. Oh, really? Yeah. I kind of figured. No, like, major ones. Like, nothing on Broadway, but several musicals. Okay. I just don't know that I want to hear the songs. (laughs) Well, you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) I have good news for you, Fiona. You do not have to. (laughs) Just keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Great. (laughs) All right. That is about it for this movie. Next week, we will, at long last, be covering Darren Aronofsky's 2017 weird movie, Mother. (gasps) Does it really fit in the Spookapalooza? I don't know. I haven't seen it, but we'll find out. It sure was marketed that way. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, last question, Fiona. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from the Invisible Man? Do not date a mad scientist. I think you're safer without that. I was going to say, if you really care about someone, you need to let them see you. Oh. I was going to make a terrible (laughs) joke like that, too. Uh Um, my advice is, uh, if someone puts their work in front of you, don't be in love with them. That's good advice. All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I am a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 Bye.